Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. And we're going to be going through today with the help of my co-host, as always, Joshua Escalante Troche, um, to dive into the value proposition and sales pitches that you've been working on. So this is going to be a really fun, like live edition. And thank you, Ilana, for being willing to, as you said, like be the guinea pig in this. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm really, really happy to get the help. So thank you. I'm I'm very appreciative. You are so welcome. And Josh, I'm going to let you lead most of this because this is your territory. So take it away. Sounds good. And um, so just to start off, Alana, why don't you start by describing a little bit about uh, maybe a 30-second description of your background, a uh, 10-second description of your niche, and then what your email was that you had sent me with regards to the value proposition. Okay. So um, 30 seconds. I'm not going to put the timer on, but... um, (laughs) I have my CFP. I've had it for a long time. I've really been focusing more on raising my family for quite a period of time. Um, About three years ago, I decided to go back and get a certificate in financial life planning from Golden Gate University, which covered a lot of financial psychology and some of the similar things to um, what's learned at, uh, you know, Kansas State has a good program, a great program. Actually, I was accepted there and then decided not to do that and decided to do launch instead. Um, the director of the program even said, hey, you know, you really need to just focus on, you've got so much information and so much to give. And my challenge is I've been trying to figure out how to, um, what to do next. And I've really struggled with that. And I really feel that launch is helping me move forward with all of that. Um, And so through working with launch or doing this, I've come up with a niche, um, um, not on my own. Like I went through a whole long list of potential niches um, and, and then I selected one and with my husband having a whole model of how to select it. And then my, then actually I even ran it by Josh. I did an hour with Josh and he was very helpful in going, yes, this is actually really a good choice while we talking the whole thing through. And so my niche Dremel is um, helping women in their forties and fifties. Thank you, Carrot, um, who have an ill parent um, deal with the issues around that. And um, sadly I have a, good amount of experience. My father was diagnosed with Parkinson's when my son was born um, and then passed away. And so it was many years of balancing kids and ill parent and, and, and dealing with my mother has issues too. So it's been a whole part that I, something I don't want to get experience with, but yet it's interesting that if you sort of look at the grand scheme of things, maybe that's part of a, part of the gift that I can give to help someone else. So um, trying to write all of that up and, and turn that then into into the part and i wrote to to josh and garrett i'm like okay i need help i'm working on this um the value proposition and you know what do i do next and they offered to have me come live so i'm really really honored to be here and i hope whatever part of my journey as i plug forward with this is helpful to other people so thank you for this opportunity 
So let's start with, so that's a good background so people can have some context because obviously your value proposition is not going to be copy and paste anyone else what they can do, but it'll give some context to the conversation so that hopefully everyone listening to this can get more out of it. Um, so what is the value proposition that you've currently come up with? Let me um, share my screen. That's okay. all right with everybody. Okay. So I kind of came up with a couple things on using this worksheet and I hope people there can see this also. Um, trying to do, I'll just go to the bottom part. Um, I help women with ill parents. Trying to come up with three words was hard. Or have a more meaningful remaining time together, peace of mind and family harmony. And I kind of wanted something of family legacy also. I mean, to have it be what their parents would want and, and certainly harmony after they pass um, also with siblings and, and all of those pieces. But while you're in the thick of it, it's really hard. So I also wrote, I help women with ill parents figure out the money situation so they can better enjoy the time they have left with their parents and set things up in the best way for the family, implying for the long term. And then I have, I have helped women in their 40s and 50s who have a parent with an illness figure out how to best holistically support their parent so they both can make the most of their time together and have peace of mind to know that they did all they could do to respect the parent's wishes and have family harmony. So let's talk about these. And as you know, I love your niche. I think it's a powerful niche from a wide variety of perspectives, not only the help that you can do, but also the um, the help that you can give to others, but also with regard to just the ability to build a business around it. Your value propositions that you have listed here don't do it justice. And the reason why is because as we go through the value propositions, as we get further and further along with it, people listening to it are going to be moving from that's me to I'm not sure that's me to potentially being distracted by the squirrel on the tree, right? And one of the things we really want to get for, through with value proposition is something that's very focused and short because humans in general don't have great attention spans, <laughs> right? And so if you, if someone asks you, what do you do? Right? Think about when you talk to a heart surgeon, what does a heart surgeon say when you tell them, when you ask them, what do you do? No, I don't know. Do they just say, I, I make hearts healthy. I operate on hearts. I, what do they Very say? Very rarely. I'm a heart surgeon. Three words gets everything across because, you know, surgeon, oh, you operate on hearts, or you operate, heart, oh, you operate on hearts, all, all of that stuff was just condensed into those three words if it's, or four words if it's, I'm a heart surgeon, right? And so what we want to do is we want to condense it down as much as possible, right? Um, when I, someone says, oh, what do you do? And I'm going to give the answer of being a professor. Right? I don't say I am a professor that focuses on personal finance and entrepreneurship, blah, 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 blah. I say, oh, I'm a business professor. or I'm an entrepreneurship professor. Right? Um, and so we want to get it as short as possible because 
that does two things. The first thing that it does is it helps people to be able to wrap their mind around what you do. And the second thing that it does is it stops your talking and gives space for the other person to talk. Now we're talking about using it in a sales pitch or a networking conversation. That allows them to take whatever's going on inside of them or the people that they know and bring it into the conversation, which makes it personal. And so brevity is power. We want to tell all the things we do. We want to be able to talk about why well, I help with this and I help with this and I help with this. But the more words we use, the less effective it's going to be, whether it's in a marketing piece or in conversation with people. So if we look at this, one of the ways that we can solve this problem is literally just take a knife and cut off the crust of the sandwich. Okay. With your first value proposition, I help women with ill parents figure out the money situation, right? Because, and this is not to say that you're not going to use the rest of this stuff. It's just not the value proposition. It's not the upfront thing because the idea of enjoying the time they have left with their parents, setting things up the best way for the family, peace of mind, family harmony, all of those things are the stresses they're already feeling if they're in that situation or the stresses they've heard their friend feeling if they have a friend in that situation related to the fact that they're just having to deal with their own life and their parents' money situation. And so all of that, if someone's experiencing it, it's kind of wrapped up in the fact that they have an ill parent already. And if they have a friend that's experiencing it, it's kind of wrapped up in the fact that they've been talking with their friend about it already. And so we can save all of the rest of this stuff for later parts of the conversation. But that real short, I help women with ill parents figure out the money situation. That is powerful. And by the way, to someone who is drowning in it, that feels like a lifeline was just thrown over the side of the boat. And just to reiterate what Josh was saying, um, yeah, this first portion, keeping it really short. And I think it was week, oh gosh, is it now four? Um, where you put together yeah. kind of the value proposition and you had the really short one then kind of the, the one sentence, the one paragraph, and then expanding it out. All of this is really good information and words and language to use further along in the conversation, just to reiterate that. So it's not like it's wasted by any means. Yeah, we never delete, we copy and paste, or we cut and paste. <laughs> What are your thoughts on that? What are your responses? Where are you, th where are you thinking? I love it. Um, I wonder, do I need kind of like heart surgeon? I mean, I wonder if there should be more in it. Like, you know, I'm a financial coach or in any way that wording should be in there or I'm a financial, like, I'm, and I have a lot of extra training in like the um, psychological aspects of money. Um, which usually also when that actually, or even some of the tool, many of the tools that are used in financial therapy, I know that as soon as usually if you say that people will go, oh, there's such a thing as financial therapy. You know, like yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not a financial therapist, but like I, I'm part of the FPA and, and I've done a lot of training. So how does that fit in my value proposition or does it? So it doesn't. And here's the reason why. And this is a struggle that financial coaches have acutely, meaning it is a real problem. And 
we need to get in the habit of striking the word financial coach from our value propositions when we introduce people. Because, and I'll expand it to other things in a little bit, but because when you say, I'm a, I'm a criminal defense attorney, everyone knows what that means. When someone says, I'm a heart surgeon, everyone knows what that means. When someone says, I'm, a, um, I'm an auto mechanic, everyone knows what that means. When someone says, I'm a financial coach, do you know what percentage of people know what the hell that means? Yeah. yeah. And even do if they little... do, financial coaching is different when it like each person seems to be doing it slightly differently. And that was exactly what I was going to say. Do a little experiment and, or just do the search for these posts that have gone on in the past in the Facebook community. Do a search for, uh, what is the definition of financial coaching? And then see how many completely def different definitions come from just this group where you would think they would know what the definition is, right? And that's not the way, not an attack on anyone in this group. This is a brand new profession. It's still being figured out, right? And even with financial advisors, I don't tell people I'm a financial advisor because people don't know what that means. And their perceptions on what that means is colored by their experiences, which is very different, right? Oh yeah, I've talked to financial advisors before. I've had uh, life insurance agents come over to my house or, oh yeah, I've talked to financial advisors before. I've talked to the teller at the bank, right? And so you want to be, you want to be understanding of when we say I'm a financial coach, that doesn't give anyone any additional information about what you do than saying that you are a, I don't even know, you are an environmental engineer. I mean, all sorts of ideas come into your head about what an environmental engineer could be, but you still don't really know what the person does. <laughs> My mind went to underwater basket weaver and I was like, darn, I know exactly what that person does. Terrible example. Well, that was, that was why I was pausing for a while, because it's hard to come up with examples that are non-defined, because our mind automatically wants to go to things that we have well-defined. And that's an important thing, because when we give someone something that's not well-defined, like financial coach or even financial advisor, then it places a lot of stress, cognitive stress on the other person to try to figure out what that is our brains are evolved to not want to deal with stress, right? To not want to have it expend that energy. And so we, it, it actually creates this environment where people automatically disengage. Whereas when you say heart surgeon, there's very little stress that's there. Oh yeah, my uncle had a heart surgery. And even if your uncle didn't have heart surgery, you know what heart surgery is, right? Yeah. And so there's no cognitive stress there. Um, yeah. So if I could wave a magic wand, no one in this community would say I'm a financial coach when they were asked. <laughs> when they what? What was the last when point? When they were said? asked what they do. Okay. Because, because it doesn't help them. It, it harms their, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would, I would do a lot of other stuff before I would do that. I've got a much longer list of magic wand waving that I would do first. So 
It sounds like a, a good future live to hear your magic wand list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the I would not put financial coach in it. Cool. Thank you. That's it doesn't, helpful. and it doesn't add anything to the person listening to it. Right. What the person listening to it here is, is a woman with ill parents. I'm that, or I know someone who's that figure out the money situation. Oh, there's the benefit. There's the solution to the need, the problem. And everything else is great for later parts of the conversation, but unnecessary in this. And then when you say that, the temptation is going to be to expand on it. It's always the temptation when you're in a sales environment in a networking environment, anything, right? Because there is so much more that you do. There is so much more benefit and you want to be able to get it across. But the more you expand on it, the more opportunity you have to touch on things that are not relevant to them. And the more you end up in a situation where you may actually be talking yourself out of a sale without realizing it. By saying, I help women with, with ill parents figure out the money situation. And I'm saying it over and over again to make it comfortable for you, by the way. So everyone listening to this, once you have your value proposition and every time you update it, because your first value proposition is never the right one, is never the final one. <laughs> Right. But as you update it, get in the habit of saying it just a lot. Right. Because you want it to come out naturally. And the best way to do that is just talk. But when you say that, then the other person and then stop. And the other person may not say anything. Don't fill in the silence. Let the silence sit there. If the other person is not saying something, our fear is that, oh, we're going to lose the opportunity. But oftentimes, when the other person isn't saying anything, it's because they're thinking through and processing what you've said. They might be thinking about conversations they've had. They might be pausing because they're emotionally dealing with emotions within them because they're dealing with that. And by you jumping in and starting to talk again, what you end up doing is you end up stopping that process within them. Right? And you want to let that pro process go because it's beginning with and it's dealing with exactly what you said, which means that they're connecting what you said more and more to their personal lives. So don't be afraid of short value propositions. For, I'm, I'm giving you guys a bunch of reasons why, <laughs> but I'm, I want to remind you that all the stuff we're talking about is really about just make it short. And it reminds me of um, like the sales conversation on a prospect call where they say, if you're talking more than the other person, or if you're, um, you know, you're talking 70% and the client's talking 30 or prospects talking 30, that's problematic, right? It's really important to be, listening to be so that you can better understand what the questions the other person has, what their concerns are. And so this idea of just keeping it short and then allowing for space. Yeah, it's scary for sure to just sometimes let there be silence, but by allowing other people to have this space to speak, it gives you also a better opportunity to say, okay, with all of this other 
information that I have about my niche and my value proposition, you know, what is actually relevant to them and allowing it to put the ball back into their court. Um, I used to kind of do this, not directly in this way, but I hate how everyone in New York asks, so what do you do? I'm just like, I hate that question, right? So I would always just be like, oh, nighttime vigilante justice. And they would always just like stop and kind of give me that look that Ilana, you just gave me. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and it allowed, it, it put it back in their court to kind of be like, okay, well, wait, wait, what do you mean by that? And just have that conversation and get into that flow. And it's not probably the most direct example, but kind of that way of just keep it short, let them process what feelings and thoughts or questions they have around it. And then you can, based on their answers, give a chance, like for me, I was like, do I even want to talk to this person if they don't have a sense of humor or how do I want to engage in this conversation moving forward? And so kind of ping-ponging it back to them. I don't want to say like gives you the power of the situation, but. What what was it you said? I couldn't even understand it. Sorry, nighttime vigilante justice. Oh, See, and this okay. is this showcases, by the way, a fundamental difference between Garrett and I, because when Garrett got annoyed with people asking him, what do you do? He came up with something to find out if the other person had a sense of humor. When my friend and I, when we used to go out all the time, uh, we would go out just to talk with each other. We got annoyed when people came up and talked to us and they would always ask us the same question. What do you do? And we turned it into a game at their expense, which was we would try to come up with the most ridiculous possible profession you could possibly imagine and then try to convince the other person that that's actually what we did. Like off the wall, stupid, crazy stuff. Like we sold uh, overstock billiards equipment. And what I mean by overstock is, you know, a company produced 17,000 too many red balls. So we would buy those red balls and sell them. We're somehow fate brought us together. Just obnox- <laughs> the obnoxious parts of our personality have brought out wonderful things. Hopefully they're helping people in this community. I don't know how it happened. Um, but, I should have you met know. you guys years ago. I mean, here I was all these years of being, quote, unquote, a stay-at-home mom, like putting together <laughs> big volunteer projects for our different organizations, all this charitable stuff. And I would say that and people go like, mm. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, unless you say you're CEO, I, I live in the Silicon Valley, I think, unless you're like some big techie person, which speaking of jumping back to what you said before about not understanding what people do. Yeah. I, you know, I have no idea. You know, even the, t- you can sort of figure out something by title, but after that, it's like, what was that? The rest of the Silicon Valley, it's not like doctor or lawyer or, or anything else. So. And my guess is when that happened, you probably got bored talking with the person because you were thinking, I can't even understand their job title. There's probably not going to be a lot of connection we're going to have here. <laughs> actually, sometimes I actually felt judged, to be honest. I think that there's a, um, it's just hard. I mean, if you're you know, having come from being, being a professional woman that some people I would meet and I just felt, sometimes I felt judged of like, oh, you can't come up with the societies type piece of all of that. And that was, that was hard. And I think that's another reason, another really important thing to bring out, which is we tend to want to make ourselves sound impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Because, well, what we do as financial coaches is important, but the more impressive we make ourselves sound, the more the other person may feel judged, right? We always want to think about the words that we're choosing how does it, how does that impact 
the other person's psychology in the conversation? And is that something that's going to encourage deeper connection? Or is that something that could potentially start to spread things apart? Um, one of the, one of the words that you have in one, in one of your sentences going down, and it was in the Facebook post that you and Emily were interacting with when you had mentioned it, the value proposition, um, you talked about, uh, maximizing their time together and the word maximizing for most people is not a natural casual conversation word. Mm-hmm it very much feels like a marketing pitch word. And when I say a marketing pitch word, I mean a someone who doesn't know what they're doing with marketing pitch word. And you see this all the time in advertising on TV and in newspapers and everything else, because there's a lot of people who are professional in marketing that don't know what they're doing. And so we get this sense because we see it in advertising and TV that, oh, that's the proper way to do it. And it stands out to us because it feels a little bit weird. And so we think, oh, that must be the right way to do marketing, right? Using these big words, really good marketing. You don't notice that it's marketing. You don't remember it as marketing. You just remember the connection you made with the company or the brand or the product. And so um, words like maximize because it's not generally now in some circles, it may be right. But generally it's not a casual word that people use. Right. No one says, oh, yeah, I want to maximize the amount of enjoyment I have with my children. Right. People say, I want to spend more time with my kids. <laughs> right. Um, and so the look for those words that oftentimes we put in there because we see bad marketing and it stands out to us. And as a result, we kind of get trained that we have to put those types of words in. But in reality, they are, it's not effective because it kind of creates this barrier between you and the person you're talking to. And right? that's why I like what you have around, and it can depend on who your niche is as you continue to narrow it down. But saying like, I just help, I help women with ill parents figure out the money situation. Like that, I, I think can be really powerful for a very particular type of person, right? Where it's not like, figure out how to put together a will and trust and like you're not going into all these specific details and advanced like, health directives and <laughs> exactly it's just like i have this like i have this money problem that i'm dealing with because my parent or parents are are sick and ill and like i just need to figure out the money situation and so i think that those are also potentially really really good just two words to have together um for for your niche yeah, figure out is wonderful because it's not technical. It's not, it's literally what people say to themselves. I, I am overwhelmed. You need to figure this out. Right. And so, because that's what people say, that's really good to reflect in your value proposition. Okay. And instead of the word maximize, I mean, what enjoy or? Uh, well, let's, let's. We go to, should we go to the, should I go to the next piece down? Oh, here it is. Oh, no, sorry, it's right there. Uh, both in dollars and using financial therapy tools, maximizing their remaining time together. When your dad um, was struggling with and passing from Parkinson's, did you ever say, I want to maximize my time with with him? Never, never. I just wanted to make him comfortable and, and do everything I could do for him. 
and to enjoy, you yeah. know, whatever time we had, like to enjoy the time that we had together as much as possible. I think that phrase is beautiful. Help them enjoy the time they have together, the remaining time together, or the, the time they have together. That phrase, because it resonates with what they are wanting. They're not wanting to maximize their time together because that's no one's ever had that thought, at least not normal people. Engineers have all sorts of weird thoughts in their heads. So if you have engineers, you're probably going to throw a lot of this stuff out the window and focus on their language. <laughs> right. Um, but for the most part, um, that's what people say. So they can enjoy the time they have together. Do I put remaining in there or just? Um, it's up to you. I, I like shorter rather than longer. So the question is, do you think that remaining adds significantly more meaning, relatability, connection? I don't think it's necessary. And for all of your words, that's kind of the things you want to look at is do these words, does this word or eliminating this word, does it adding the word add or does eliminating the word eliminate meaning, connectedness, relatability that's important to the audience. And if the answer is no, removing it doesn't really remove anything, it's all still there, then remove the word because shorter is better. Okay. Well, then how would I how would I use like this sentence? I mean using I'm helping them using both dollars and financial. Like that seems sort of like a key part of this in some way, or does that go into the, into the paragraph? Like, does all of this up here, other than this mm -hmm. short line, is that, that's the end of, is that the end of this section then? And then the I move the rest of it to the next paragraph. Yeah. The rest, uh, you're going to put it in other sections, um, other parts of your sales pitch, other parts of your conversations, other parts of your marketing, uh, but it's not your value proposition. Okay. Right. Um, and all this stuff, it seems important to us, it's not important to the other person. If you've ever gone into a doctor's office and had an emotionally charged experience in the doctor because of a bad diagnosis, or, or we've had this with our kids, right? Um, or we went to Hawaii with our son when he was two and he had, uh, he got extremely sick. And it was a devastating experience for the two of us oh. uh, to the point that we were in the hospital multiple times on this trip, on this vacation. Um, and we don't want to hear how the doctor's going to fix it. We don't want to hear the details of the medicine. We don't want to hear the studies of all these things. What we want to hear is, yeah, we're going to make it better. Right. Um, and the more emotionally engaged the person is, the more likely you are to be successful in turning it into a sale. Notice I didn't say the more emotionally negative the person is feeling, the more emotionally engaged they are. And the more emotionally engaged they are, the less they care about the details, the more they care about what's the benefit. So this only comes up, all the rest of this only comes up when it relates to something that they ask. So if someone says, well, I mean, how do you do that? Right. Or someone more specifically says, 
you know, so is it just like you help them with the budget? Then you might say, well, no, I have, I have financial therapy tools. There are some budgeting tools. Yet then you start listing off some of the techniques because they've asked about some of the techniques. But offering it without asking is steering the conversation away from where that prospect is wanting to go and toward where you want to go. Um, which ultimately we want to do that. We want to get it to where you want to go, which is let's have a conversation and see if my services are right for you, right? But we want to do it in a way that least impacts the direction they want to go in. Um, and if you do it correctly, if you do sales conversations, networking conversation, prospect conversations correctly, then you never have to steer it there. They finally just get tired of having the conversation and say, hey, can I, we just set up a meeting? Right? Now, that takes a lot of practice, a lot of nuance, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but if you do sales conversations correctly, you never close. The, other per the, the prospect closes. And they're tired of the conversation, not because you've been droning on, but because they're just excited to get to the point of where they want to be. We'll get there <laughs> in the future. Right now, we just want to have really good opening conversations to get the conversation started and have them engaged so that we can have our conversation with them. Sounds good. And we should have mentioned this before. If anyone has questions in the audience, please feel free to ask live. Um, I don't know, Garrett, if you've been looking at the at the comments, if there has been any additional questions that people have had as they as we've been going through this. No, just a couple of comments. Um, Tracy said she just really likes um, said I love how you keep it really simple. Just figure out the money stuff. You know, it's so easy to understand. So that was funny. She put that. It looks like ten to fifteen minutes ago, right? And um, we brought that up a little while after. And then <laughs> this funny shell said, you guys just make it sound so simple. Maybe sometimes <laughs> we overthink it. And I think we do. You know, it, it's both an art and a science. Um, but I will certainly say from my own personal experience, trying to get too much in there to start and trying to really like, okay, I have all these things I want to say and get them in there. And um, not allowing as much for just the space, the other person to ask questions um so that's been a learning for me yeah and yeah really what this process is about yeah and, and i will say that yeah we do overthink it we do um we do spend time on things that we think are important but aren't and that's as garrett has mentioned before that's a big part of what launch tries to do is say don't worry about that other stuff <laughs> Right? Just focus on these things because this is enough to focus on on its own. Um, and I think that's important just to realize just in general in life. To really focus on what's key and important rather than feeling like you have to do every possible thing that you see that could be related to what you're working on. So, I think we are at time, if not over. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for just being willing to jump on here and share what you're working through and go through that process. I know that um, that's a little, it takes, uh, um, sure. 
I was going to say guts, courage, that just to be in vulnerability to do that. So thank you. So other people can kind of see your experience and, and learn from it. Well, thank you all for your guidance. I'm very, very appreciative. Awesome. And I think that's it. Um, thank you everyone for watching. As we said, if you have questions, go ahead and put them in the comments. You can tag either myself or Josh or Ilana um, so that we get notified of them. And I mean, obviously don't ask Alana about things that I said. <laughs> Good clarification. Uh, I will do my best to quote you accurately, but uh... <laughs> I love it. And uh, yeah, seriously, thanks so much. You can tag us in any questions and we'll be on next week. Um, same time, like 11, 15 and Pacific and 2, 15 PM Eastern. Right. Yeah. Just Josh and I, unless Ilana wants to, you know, Zoom bomb us and hang out again. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.